Hello and welcome to Movie Challenge Accepted. I'm Jason. And I am Marco. And we're, this is our second recording today. Two, two episodes, one day. You are welcome. Dude, these people are getting their money's worth, let me tell you that. Uh, I don't know what money that is because we've not seen a dime. <laughs> no, they, we haven't. We do it for the love, but uh, they're, they're enjoying it nonetheless. Yeah, I think they are. Uh, or have you have you enjoyed your week, or what's going on with you, uh, Jason? Let me tell you something. It's been one hell of a week for me. Um, you know, uh, I'm a big sports fan, just like you are. And my Italian national team, the Azzurri, was knocked out of competition for making the World Cup. This is the second cycle in a row. So, eight years in total, my team will not be there. And and that was after my club team didn't uh, got knocked out of the Champions League. For anybody who knows anything about soccer, this is just terrible. But the only thing that really kind of picked me up is um, a, a couple of days ago on Facebook in my memories, uh, a spe- specific memory popped up. Jason, do you know what, what that could have been? I'm 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 sure everyone who's still listening is waiting with bated yes. breath. As, as a matter of fact, Jason, it it concerned you. It. A picture showed up that showed the day that you and I met, okay, at back in on March 26, 2011. Uh, you and I have a, uh, a mutual friend uh, by the name of Colin Lawton, and then uh, we will bring him up again later on, apparently. And um, he brought you to meet up with me, and uh, we, we watched a soccer game with a bunch of other people. And since then, I'd like to say that we have been friends, and it's meant a lot to me 11 years later. So, uh, happy anniversary. What is the customary uh, present for 11-year anniversary? Um, Is it like wood? Is it paper? (laughs) What is... You know, I I don't know. It's 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 a very strange one, seeing as how this is... Probably, you know, we would call this a virtual friendship. Uh, you know, I, I, what's funny is that um, as as friendly as you and I are and, uh, you know, close as you and I seem to be. Jason, do you know how many times you and I have actually met physically? Um, you realize you're destroying the illusion. No, it's of... not. It's not. It's okay. It just shows... I'm going to say like four? Four times. One of four which, times. One of which was your wedding. Three years after you met me, you invited me. And I brought a guest, and we we all hung out. Well, we we all didn't hang out. I hung out with Colin, and we had a fantastic time at your wedding. That was for you and Nicole. It was beautiful. And do you know I have not seen you since? <laughs> you know what? But that's how I like to operate. I'm kind of like know, the Batman. Know, you're know you're you only going to see me when when you shoot that signal <laughs> up into the night sky. Yeah, and I'm going to show think up. You're coming for that either? Trust me. But uh, it just goes to show you that. Um, that I, I have a very good friend, and may, I may not see you all the time, but the fact that you and I not only do this podcast, but we really kept in touch. If, if it's 350 days out of the year through text and uh, through our thread with Colin, it's probably 15 days less than it really is. So I can he- thank you. I very can much. hear our listeners vomiting right now. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, some people want to know how we all met up. So that's that's how it was. The traditional gift for the 11-year anniversary is steel, oh, boy. a symbol of the strong <laughs> bonds that you share with your partner. There you go. Thank you very much. So uh, I just like to th- I say thank you for 11 fantastic years as my friend. It, I have appreciated every single day of it. Thank you very much. It, it, it's been fun, uh, I feel likewise. And I'm glad we're doing this podcast. Yes. And do you know yes. Yes. who also uses steel in their line of work? No. Who, who would that be? 
Surgeons. Mm-hmm. And did you see a film in the past week featuring oh. Colin Farrell playing a surgeon who utilizes oh. steel nice. and then utilizes steel in another disturbing way at I, the I, end of the movie? Oh, you know what, Jason? I this this challenge that you gave me, I. I, I watched it in fully yesterday. Some days I'm able to. Some weeks I'm able to watch it early, but yesterday I was able to watch it uh, uh, during the day, and it was one of those films that I had to stop, and stop, and stop, and stop because it. While it wasn't a horror movie, it was a psychological thriller that messed with you from the opening scene of a beating heart that you can see being operated on, and apparently. A, a live operation a real operation and while that doesn't bother me in the slightest bit i could see people passing out immediately and turning off the film immediately after that how this film ever got any kind of um reviews after that first five second scene is beyond me but yeah you were right that that this movie was definitely going to push um that uncomfortable feeling on anybody who watched it and it really did to me did I like the film? I'm not gonna bury. I'm gonna bury the lead right now. Yeah, it, I enjoyed the film for what it was, but boy, oh boy, I will never watch it again. So we are talking about the 2017 uh, Yorgos uh directed movie, "The Killing of a Sacred Deer." I couldn't even say that name if you paid me. <laughs> uh, he's Greek. He was born in Athens. He's right. he's directed three movies. One of which I liked very very much. I did not see the Lobster, uh, okay. which is uh, Joaquin. I think Joaquin Phoenix. But he directed uh, the Favorite with Olivia Coleman and Emma Watson and Rachel Weisz, which was a hilarious dark dark comedy uh, about uh, England in the time of uh, probably in the 16th or 17th century. Okay, it's a great movie. You should right. check it out. Okay. But I chose this because there was a connection between this and a movie we saw recently that I loved and you liked lesser. Uh, this was the movie where Barry Keegan mm-hmm. came to prominence. This is sort right. of his breakout role. Mm-hmm. And Keegan, who has since been in Dunkirk, of course, plays... He's credited with unseen Arkham inmate mm-hmm. in the Batman. Right. He is playing the Joker. Right. He will be the Joker in the next Batman movie, the next Batman, uh, Matt Reeves Batman movie. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen so many people talk about this movie, and I'd never seen it. And I was sitting here one night, and my wife was working, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to throw this on. And much like you, that long <laughs> pullout pull from uh-huh. a, uh, a beating heart or, uh-huh. or what is you know, approximately a beating heart... I'm not into body horror stuff. Yeah. I don't like surgeries. Right. I can't handle any of that. It just doesn't sit for me. Boy, you must have been like, what the hell? <laughs> but you go from that into an possibly even more disturbing, artificial, oh, God. very um, underplayed sense of reality from everyone that's in the movie. And for those of you that don't know, the plot is fairly simple. Colin Farrell plays a heart surgeon who befriends a 16-year-old kid uh, mm-hmm. from the area. And then terrible things start to happen to right. his family. Right. And, and you know, you're right. They underplay reality. The, walking down the hall, literally minutes later, walking down the hall with his uh, anesthesiologist partner, I believe. Bill and, Camp. Yeah, Bill Camp. And they're talking about wristwatches. They're talking about their Rolexes as if... 
what they just did was so commonplace that so and i guess it is for 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 um a surgeon a heart cardiac surgeon like uh, colin farrell played but it was it was like what the hell it, it's almost like it gave you the sense of superiority that they felt about themselves that many people hear about people in the medical profession that they think that they're better than other people and you really had that sense right from the beginning and the word that uh, that uh, after reading the reviews and checking in about the movie the word that uh, that you would definitely use in that instance would be hubris and you know to think yourself above others and that's what he really put off at the beginning of that film it's interesting that you bring that up i hadn't really looked at it that way but it makes really? a lot of sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the way I connected it is obviously he he listens to the kind of watch Bill Camp got, right. and then he buys the nicer version or the uh-huh. version that goes to 200 meters water resistant, <laughs> yeah. and he gives that to Keegan. Yeah. And this this is the kind of movie that starts out where, you, which I love, is you're not given any backstory. No, like no. Farrell is already having this sort of strange pseudo parental. Uh, lunch with uh, Keegan, who very strange, come... very strange. But uh, let me well, just everything... interrupt you because it was you had no idea what, like what was coming next. It almost like it's almost like all right, is this is this like a is he like a sexual predator? And and you couldn't tell because it was their dialogue between the two of them and 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 Keegan's character of Martin had he played him almost in a a very simple minded way. That, you know, obviously you saw it later in the film that it was not like that. But in the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the film, you, you didn't know where Martin was coming from. Well, I feel like you don't almost you almost don't know where anyone is coming from because everyone is playing every character and they're reading every line with this sense of, of artifice. And the they do they are not behaving or speaking as someone would in the real world. And I've always liked that. I've always liked kind of dialogue that is uh, that is familiar, but also oddly unsettling. Like it kind of falls in that uncanny valley. Very unsettling. Yeah. And all the interactions from character to character kind of fall into that realm of this is unnatural. <laughs> yeah. Like there's something in this world that is not right. And it is it comes through in everyone. Every, and the, every every scene in the film... Every interaction, like you said, it almost seems like it was um, not forced, or supernatural, maybe even in a, in a different way. Almost like, almost like you're not living in the real world. That just a, a, a small example is when Colin Farrell's family and um, and his wife Nicole Kidman is also a professional. I believe she is. Uh, her name is Anna Murphy. She is a um, medical professional of some sort. I'm, but I'm, I think I'm, she's an optometrist. Optometrist. Okay, very good. And and she. And and uh, and Colin Farrell sit at the dinner table and they're talking to their daughter who's thirteen years old, and talking to their son Bob who is a few years younger, and even that conversation is stilted. It's 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 almost it almost seems like the perfect family, but there it's it's a it's only a facade to a certain extent, and it it is unsettling. They weren't talking about anything other than a party, and it was unsettling to me. Yeah, and I think I'm drawn to movies like this. I'm drawn to movies that are going to take you outside of your comfort zone. And I'm drawn to the two films I've seen of Lanthimos so far. He has a very distinctive visual style. It's almost 
there's almost like a Kubrickian sort of vibe to how he frames his shots. And the fact that the camera, I don't know if you call it this, but in most of the scenes where people are speaking, the camera is either always slowly moving in or it's slowly pulling out. And there's this constant... I remember noticing that, to be quite honest. I I made a note of it. And it's this constant sense of you're being drawn in to something that you should not see. And then you're trying to pull away from what you are being shown. And those two, throughout the the movie, as as that sort of goes on, it, it, it was, for me at least, it was this constant push and pull between of of being brought into this world and and then wanting to leave but you're not able to leave because you have to see how this goes oh yeah the 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 basis of the movie it's inspired by the uh the greek myth of uh iphigenia iphigenia right um which i no uh yes which i had to look up afterwards which Mm is um in, in in Greek mythology, Agamemnon uh, offends the goddess Artemis mm-hmm. um, when he's on his way to the Trojan War by killing one of her sacred deers. Right. And he is forced to kill his own daughter. And right. there are different ways that the story play, plays out depending on where you find it. But um, essentially in this movie, Colin Farrell uh, accidentally killed, and he might have been drunk at the time, right. Barry Keegan's father. And... Mm-hmm. His kids start to get ill. There's no discernible medical reason for why they're getting ill. Mm-hmm. And Keegan tells him, you have to kill one of your family members. Otherwise, you're all going to die. Right. Basically, he's cursing them for what and and for what um, uh, Colin Farrell's character, Stephen, Dr. Stephen Murphy, did to his father. So if he was drunk and uh, accidentally killed him and it turned out that he most likely was, then this uh, uh, Martin says that this is the closest form of... Um, closest thing to justice that I can think of. So he basically curses them. What's amazing to me is that, you know, I'm one of those people that I, well, how is, how is this happening? Well, it really doesn't matter that it's happening or how it's happening or why it's happening. You just need to get through it. And how do they get through it? That to me was the greatest part of this film. And you have this, you have this family who is um, well-to-do, um, a little bit entitled. They, they they act like they're entitled. They act perhaps act like they're better than other people, and get torn apart to a certain extent. And um, and 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 how do they deal with this curse upon them? It's it it's it's amazing. It really was amazing how how it came about. You know, because Nicole Kidman initially, when <laughs> when Colin Farrell tells Kidman. Listen, this is what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I I killed this guy's this guy's father died on on the uh on the operating table. Yeah. It's it's probably my fault. I was probably drunk. Uh-huh. Drank a lot. Uh-huh. Used to drink a lot. Um and now we have to kill one of her kids. Her her first reaction of course is yeah. no. No horror. We're yeah. not doing that. The but the regular then... the regular reaction that you would think any normal sane person would have. Right. And then as the movie gets deeper and deeper and, and, and the kids get worse and worse and, right. and there's no clear reaction, there's no clear solution to their situation, yeah. well, Kidman sort of uh, comes around to the idea. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're kind of jumping ahead into the, towards the end of the movie, but right. I really, I did not know how they were going to end this. I, and I didn't either. I didn't to, either. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we spoil everything on this podcast. Well, 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 let's, but let's, let's go back a little bit. Hold on a second. Because, okay. because what I, you know, like I said, I need to read sometimes without, without talking to you, I, I 
have to learn about the film after I watch it because there are things that I'm, I definitely miss. And I'm as smart as, as smart as I sound. Trust me, I don't catch everything. Well, but Same here. I, I, right. I, I always read other people's takes exactly. just to see yeah, what their to, thoughts are. So in this one, there was one particular article, and I really got to start writing the, the names of these people down. Maybe it was Variety or Looper. I'm not exactly sure. But they say that Colin Farrell, uh, Stephen Murphy character, is, you know – the, the the whole family kind of falls apart when they're all cursed and then they put their faith and um their faith that things are going to work out all in Stephen and uh, Dr. Stephen Murphy and he becomes the head of the household in that way even more than he was and he it's up to him that, that now they're at peace that he that daddy that that the that the husband is going to fix this somehow some way well it's it's almost too much for him. He can't figure out what to do. He doesn't understand what's happening. All he knows is that he's going to go out. He's going to ki- kidnap um, Martin. And he's going to beat the shit out of him until this stops. And Martin's like, no, this is never going to stop. Here you are. You better you better figure this out fast because your kid's going to die. One by one, you're all going to die. And what does he do? And, you know, he listens to his wife who says, well, you know, I think the smart thing to do is kill one of the kids. Yeah, we. So, I can still choice. have another. It's Sophie's choice, but instead of 1942 Poland, it's in freaking Ohio, 2017. It's amazing. <laughs> it really yeah. is. And, and that that's what I love because we get into the thoughts of of what would you do, and and the fact that yeah. the the fact that the curse is never explained. Yeah. Like I love movies that don't feel compelled to tell the audience everything that is happening. And it's never explained like what the nature of this curse is, how it was put on on the Colin Farrell character, um, how uh, how you can take the curse off. It none of this is ever explained. And and I, I'm one of those people that is the opposite. I need something explained to me, especially something supernatural. Something, you know, you know, you look at supernatural movies from the 2000s, The Ring. Okay, girl comes out of the TV. You know why? It tells you why. I need to know why. <laughs> so, but in this particular film, the why wasn't that as important. And you know what? While I never heard of this director before, I will say this. The way that he filmed this film, the way that the writing was done, the way that the, the performance was done by these actors, it made it so that you do not need to know why this is happening. It's, you just want to know how did they get through it. Yeah, and I think that's the that that's in, shows how effective a director and a story is and the and the acting and like I said there's no performative uh performances here no one's reaching for it in terms of going over the top and, and what they're doing everything is understated everyone is understated every performance is quiet and I think it's that quiet that sense of unsettling stillness that right. exists in this world right. that is what draws me in and and not every film is like that of his like the favorite is not this quiet. The favorite, everyone in there is much more performative. It's more of a dark comedy. But visually, it's 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 very similar. There's a lot of wide angles, a lot of long shots where the, the camera's not moving, which I also love. Right. But I, I, I love the fact that we got to the end of this and I did not think he was going to end up shooting any of his family. Yeah. I really... <laughs> I, I thought maybe... I thought maybe they would have had him kill himself, but I guess that's too easy because then that would have made him, in a way, brave. Yeah, and and 
And Martin and he's not said, brave. Martin said, no, this is not going to end. You're all three of them. Are, and he didn't say that he was going to die himself. Uh, Stephen Murphy was going to die. It was going to be your wife and your two kids are going to die. We're going to. I'm going to take this away from you unless you stem the tide and choose which one is going to die. And it's an impossible choice. I don't care who you are. It's an impossible choice. And and what he does is probably the only thing that any of us could ever do in that situation. And, you know, you brought up um, Usual Suspects recently. What did Kaiser Sose do when he was put in the same exact situation? And sh instead of showing any kind of weakness, he killed his entire family. And while he didn't do this, I mean, he, he made the one choice that he had to make. Blindfold himself, blindfold everybody else so they don't see it coming, turn himself in a circle, and wherever the shotgun lands, that person dies. How disturbing was the scene where the older daughter tells oh. her young younger brother, yeah. it should be you that dies? Um, you know, and then she turns around later on and says, no, I'm the one who's ready. I'm, I'm, I love my father and I love my brother, so I should be the one that dies. And, I, you know, that, that's basically taking it out of taking it out of our hands and putting it in dad's hands he, he, you know and that's the peace that they find in, within themselves i don't know how a 13 year old ever finds any kind of peace knowing she's gonna die she possibly could die within a day or so but that's that's what she does yeah i mean this i Lynn, david lynch is one of my favorite writer directors of all time and this sort of is evocative of of his work and and sort of that that resistance to explain everything and to just have these characters sort of respond calmly to a completely irrational, batshit crazy situation. <laughs> right. Whereas they're the ones that are, they're the ones that are, are at risk of dying, and they're the ones that are the, quote unquote the most calm. And uh, Colin Farrell, Stephen Murphy is losing it, and you know he you know he's beating the crap out of uh, out of Martin. And doesn't work. Nothing works. He can't find his way out of it. And, you know, and, and just his wife, you know, Nicole Kidman, you know, the day before, the, you know, the, what, somebody's going to die. What does she do? She gets in bed and she seduces him. She tries to seduce, seduce him in the way that he wants to be seduced, that, you know, the, the sexual way that he likes, which is freaking crazy in itself by ne the way necrophilia it, well uh, yeah no not necrophilia so much you know apparently he, he likes fantasizing hopefully it's just a fantasy of having sex with people that are under general anesthesia anesthesia where they can't do anything you know i call that rape but <laughs> i you know whatever i guess uh, you know whatever for this guy this is what he wants so his wife plays along with it not only does she do that in the beginning of the film, which is unsettling enough, but, you know, when she feels like they've come to an agreement that one of the kids has to die, okay, well, we'll get back to normal. What in the actual fuck? <laughs> I think you just kind of triggered something in me. I think maybe this movie is also about the secrets that are kept behind like you said they have a very nice house mm -hmm. doc two doctors in the family perfect right. kids perfect little family right but you know underneath that farrell is an alcoholic right in recovery right um kidman and he engage in hey consenting adults kind of unusual yeah, right. sex stuff whatever whatever exactly. um and and also when they're confronted with the sins of farrell's past uh-huh 
they adapt pretty quickly to the, okay, this is what we, they go from, no, no, we're going to solve this medically to, okay, we're going to kill one of our kids. Yeah. This is the new normal. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and, and this, none of this works if you don't have the performance from Keegan that he oh, gives. 100%. Let me tell you something. I, I only knew Keegan as, um, really saw him only for the first time. I didn't see Dunkirk. Uh, bits and pieces, but I, I, I saw him in Eternals, and he played, uh, I forgot his name, but what, Druig, apparently, and he, he did a very good job in the film, but, you know, he had a presence about him, but go back uh, five, six years, and he was that much younger, and he had, he, as a, as a he was only 16 in the film, probably 18, 19, 20 in real life, but he drove this film, uh, the, the Playing this bumbling, stumbling teenager who is lost at the beginning of the film, then basically takes over this family, is the force that takes over the family, and he does it with just a, a drop of a hat, a light switch, and it's amazing. That is a performance of a lifetime. Yeah, I think I'm I'm really excited for what he's going to do with the Batman yeah. uh, with, role with the Joker. Yeah. Did you see? I did send you the. Uh, there was a deleted scene. Matt Reeves right. and Warner Brothers dropped a deleted scene of Robert Pattinson visiting the Joker in Arkham. It's about a five minute scene, mm -hmm. and you, Keegan as the Joker is mostly out of focus for that. Right. right. But it looks like they're going to go full Arkham Games version of the Joker when he's a a, a physically scarred and right. afflicted uh, mess. Yeah, and I I think that works. Why we haven't seen it yet, so that works for me. I mean, uh, you know, I guess we've seen a little bit of uh, physical scarring with uh, Heath Ledger's version of it. However, this one looks like it's it's uh, you know ramped up to eleven. So you can only imagine the type of uh, psychosis he would be going through. And uh, you know, Barry Keegan. Let me tell you, his eyes in this film were crazy. I, you know, for a person who had only become an actor three or four years earlier. I mean, this may have been the role of a lifetime. Yeah, it's there are certain actors that are just have a presence about them that whenever they're on the screen, you're drawn to them. And I think Keegan is clearly one of those actors. Like uh, Daniel Day Lewis is yes, someone yes, that I watch him absolutely. in anything. Absolutely, he he can be he can be anybody, and yeah. he can he can be loving and he can be crazy, and you will believe everything he says. Yeah, and, and Meryl Streep, I think, yes. is similarly yes. um, just someone that whatever role she's playing, that they, they have this commanding presence about them. Yes. And Keegan plays the very disturbing 16-year-old. I mean, the spaghetti scene by oh. itself is, is oh. just so uncomfortable, and, and I loved it for that reason. Oh, and, God. And, and, and Alicia Silverstone for a cup of coffee in this film, you know, because apparently she loved uh, the director and begged to be in it. So, you know, begged to me means you're not getting paid. <laughs> you know, so if you're in this one, she was, and she wasn't in it for it was basically more than a cameo. Uh, but, boy, it was uncomfortable seeing her doing what she was doing in this film. Yeah, I mean, everyone in this is just uncomfortable to watch. Even the, 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 the sad obligatory hand job Nicole oh, Kidman gives Bill Camp God. in exchange for information God. on her husband is just one of those. Like it's it, everything about this just makes you cringe. 
cringe. Look away, but yeah, but through 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 your fingers, you look away and you still look at through your fingers because it's like I don't know what's happening. But listen, obviously, I had to kept I I kept on stopping. So it probably took me about four hours to watch this entire film because I had to keep on stopping. So that's the kind of um, level of of comfort that I did not have with this film. And this is why I don't give you some of the body horror stuff that I've seen. And I don't seek that out. Like there's, right. I've, I've, ex, I've expressed this a number of times. There's a French movie yeah. I'm dying to give you that I'm keeping away from because of that reason, like it's uncomfortable yeah. physically yeah. To, to take in. And this wasn't uncomfortable physically. This was uncomfortable in sort of a, in sort of a way that it, the movie touches you in Areas that you might not have known in deep in, in your consciousness yeah. and I, it, it unsettles you. And I think when you find something like that, if yeah. you're into that yeah. and I'm into that, yeah. you, you, you tend to treasure them because those kinds of films and those novels are rare. And uh, yeah, man, I, I am so glad that you were able to get through this. <laughs> well, after it's funny, it's funny because you, you say that it's, uh, it's a different kind of uh, level of uncomfortable, uncomfortability for all of us. And I believe that that's in this particular instance, this film touches upon us in really in a human way. Like maybe this could be me in this film doing these things because I don't know how, how else I would get through it. This could be anybody. It really could. It's just, and maybe that's what makes it so uncomfortable for me. Uh, you know, maybe for you too. I'm not sure, but uh, th that to me is was the biggest part of this film. Yeah, and it's it's funny. There's a an author I know who knew about this movie, and she hadn't seen it. And she likes Barry Keegan, but she was turned off by the supernatural elements. And I, if yeah, you're in, yeah, like, yeah. The, the supernatural elements, like, obviously, the nature of what's going on is insane, but the supernatural aspect of it is never really uh, discussed. It's never, it's never explained. There's, it's not like, oh, this is um, a curse from Native American Indians, or this is an old, uh, like, Italian. There, there's no, you don't know what town you're in, you don't know what city you're in. Right. There's no origin story for any of it. You're just dropped into this world, and you're forced to survive. Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I, I appreciate stuff like that. Uh, I am glad that you had a good time. I'm yeah, glad you enjoyed yeah, I, it. I, and... Definitely. I, I enjoyed the film, but <laughs> not enough to ever see it again. So I'm glad I saw it. I can say I saw it, and I, I can appreciate Keegan going forward in some other films, but he's got to do something about those eyes because they're always going to be unsettling to me. I, I think that's, that's what makes him incredible to watch. The fact that he yeah, has absolutely. a tool and he knows how to use it, and that's why I look forward to what he does with the Joker. He's got dead eyes in this film. Yeah. He's got dead eyes. And I think he, looking back on Eternals, kind of the same thing. It's like, come at me, <laughs> you know, because yeah. you, you can't hurt me. And he he wasn't getting hurt in the film, he, even though he was getting the shit beat out of him. He Nothing was going to happen. He was the angel of death for the most part. Do you know who else cannot get hurt? Although, who who does get hurt, but seemingly cannot be killed? Well, would that be Baba Yaga, also known as John Wick? Oh, man. John Wick, Chapter 2. Um, I say, oh, man, that's the wrong reaction. No, 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 okay. no. I, do, I had a much better time with this movie than the original. Um, but it's kind of... Uh, chapter 2 is kind of a... It's two movies yes. to me. Yes, okay. Chapter 2, two movies. I can see that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh... I watched this a couple days ago, and it opens up shortly after the first film, I think. Right. Uh, John gets his car back. Mm -hmm. There's an extended scene. 
uh, an extended shootout scene, and he, he gets the cards. There's some good practical effects work combined right. with uh, combined with CGI, uh-huh. and I think all of that works really well. And I I became concerned. It's the same director, so uh-huh. John Wick Two. Let me back up a little bit. Okay, John Wick Two came out three years after John Wick One in 2017. Uh, Derek Holstad script, Chad Stileski uh, uh-huh. directed again. Right, and. Early on in the movie, I got to tell you, I was concerned. Really? At, at what point? For I mean, how early? <laughs> what are we talking about here? I was concerned when Peter Stormare, who, okay, who I like, I love, uh, yeah, I love yeah. and everything. Yeah, he's great. He's great. When he is explaining to his minion, this is John Wick. This is what we did to him. Mm-hmm. This is why he's coming to kill us. He killed it's it literally. He killed him with a pencil. Who does that? Yeah, and which is again referenced in the first movie. So now it's becoming sort of almost this fabricated bit of legend around John Wick. But my issue is, is this is the exact opposite of what we saw in the killing of the sacred deer. You have no clue what's going on in the killing of sacred deer. Okay. You're you're just saying try to keep. You know, this is the story. Keep up. Jump in with both feet and start mm-hmm. swimming. Right. Whereas right. Stormare literally explains, if you haven't seen John Wick 1, and I don't know who would have gone to see John Wick Chapter 2 that hadn't seen Chapter 1. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because we'll be talking about something similar to that later, but go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Stormare effectively says, you know, hey, my nephew stole his car and killed his dog, and now he's going to come and kill us all because he's the boogeyman. <laughs> and... All of the that whole sequence um, before the credits, which is like twelve minutes or something, right. yeah, yeah, right, right, is well done. Mm-hmm. It's cool to look at, but it's kind of like, oh, it's we're gonna do the same movie again. Okay, but isn't that the, those twelve minutes exposition that some people feel that they need in in these types of films? I know that you I don't. mean there might be people there might be people that feel they need that. I don't think you need that in a movie that is essentially a where the the plot is essentially a skeleton to have really cool action set pieces because if you want to do that I, I I think they did that in chapter 1 where it's like hey John Wick lost his wife uh, Theon Greyjoy comes and steals his car and kills his dog, and now John Wick is out for revenge. Boom, can't, simple. Can't we call him Alfie Allen, please? <laughs> I'm sorry. He will, he, I, and that's the unfortunate thing, right? Yeah, is when right, you, right, right. you know, Leonard Nimoy will always be Spock. Yes. Uh, oh, okay, but although let's be honest, Leonard Nimoy did plenty of other things that we know him for that we could say Leonard Nimoy, director of Three Men and a Baby. I did not know that. <laughs> yes. He directed a number oh, of movies later in his wow. career. Yeah. Okay. I, I knew he was a director, but holy shizzle. Okay. Thank you for pointing that out. Okay. So you end up with, uh, you, you get John Wick again, uh, kicking ass. He lo- the, he, the car gets ruined. Right. And <laughs> Which was weird he, to me, but okay. <laughs> and he goes home and he essentially retires. Again. He's got right. no one else. And then uh, Santino shows up yeah ricardo scamarchio santino d'antonio who has a marker that john wick gave him a long time ago and this was where the movie started to to flip for me flip in the bad way no 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 in the good way okay good 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 i think because i think i said this to you when we watched the first john wick where okay you can have john wick killing guys and that's cool enough but i need something more to latch on to funny funny you say that you know, 
you know, here you are. You don't need to be told something. You would like to learn on your own, but here you are. Now you're given something and you're okay with it because you were out in the wild with nothing to, 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 to hold on to story-wise, but now you have something, a backstory, which is what I wanted to give you. There's the reason I gave you this second film also because I, I had forgotten that the first one doesn't have the world building that I, I was looking forward to. But it's funny that you feel the need that uh, to, to have that, to, to make this a better film for you. Well, there's a difference between like just explaining everything that's going on because I would argue that when the film kicks into high gear, which is about at the... When, he, when Wick and Common... Yeah. first encounter right. each other when, when, he's, when he's in Rome to uh, fulfill the marker which is to kill uh, Santonio then what's his last name Santino D- D'Antonio yes yeah, S- 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 whatever Santino D'Antonio is uh, his sister you know basically yeah. to kill her yeah so Santino has a marker that obligates John Wick within the rules of the assassin life that he has led mm-hmm. that he has to honor the marker and he has to kill Santino's sister who has a seat on the high council and the first time I heard the high council is when I said huh okay and I I was familiar and we discussed this on the episode where we did the first John Wick I knew just through living on our planet that there's like a whole world behind the John Wick character right and the the avenging angel as a as a someone who is setting things right mm-hmm. is an interesting concept for a very short period of time unless you do something interesting with it like what Clint Eastwood did uh with um I think it was High Plains Drifter okay where he comes into town paints the whole town red and he sets things wrong uh right that were wrong and it is a very um almost biblical sense of correction of of, of justice of righteousness coming down and John Wick essentially represents that, but that gets dull for me, not for everyone, just right. for me. Okay. And then, because uh, the first half of the movie is essentially the same thing. Action set piece, long, quiet period. Someone shows up that pulls John out of retirement. He goes to another club. Um, I love the club. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, I, wait, does he go to the club? I mean, it's, it's an outdoor, it's a very famous outdoor concert venue in, yeah, in, Italy. in Italy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. But again, he, he finds someone in a, in a bathtub, again, because uh, Alfie <laughs> Allen was, when he finds him in the club in New York City, he's in some strange sort of basement um, Roman bath. And, and the, uh, the sister, uh, Gianna D'Antonio, right. she's in a, the basement of this like a concert hall and, and she gets into a bathtub and she allows John to kill her. And I'm like, eh, this feels very familiar. Okay. okay. And then the movie develops some sort of energy. I okay. thought the two fights between him and Cassian, yeah. Wick and Cassian, are really good. Okay. Really well done. Okay. But that whole stretch of him just running through the tunnels underneath Rome, just mm-hmm. shooting people constantly, mm-hmm. that got a little tiresome for me. Okay. But then we get into, again, the Continental. Yes. Ian McShane. And the world opens up. We see, we see this array of women, mm-hmm. and everyone's tattooed. And I love sort of these little details. The world oh, is that, analog. That's great. I love that. You know, everybody's sending out text messages through typewriters, and it's uh, old time um, uh, operators that uh, you know for, uh, to, to get the phone lines. Everybody, so it can't be traced. That's fantastic. Yeah, they're using typewriters. They're they're using computers that look like they're out of the eighties. Oh, Everything yeah. is very is green text on yep. a black background, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, this is cool. This very is, cool. Very this cool. is everything 
that I had heard about. Yeah. And this is when the movie turned for me because yeah. I think Stileski stages the second half of the movie. And a lot of it is th- thankful to the uh, that modern art installation set that they use for the kind of the final big uh, chase scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is all just like a hall of mirrors and the inventiveness that they get. This is a th- J- John Wick 2 is a much more confident movie, a much more exploratory movie in terms of what can we do with this character. And yes. I think that all of it worked so okay. good. Like, okay, you know. good, good, good. So you, I definitely, um, while the first one I don't think was a net negative for you, I, I, I think you were underwhelmed maybe uh, a little bit by it. I think this one, you're, you're making it sound like it was a little bit more of a positive experience. Yeah, and I think the second half of the movie, saves the it. second yeah. hour, not only saves it, right. I think it elevates it to a point that like, yeah, this is good. Like right. in terms of okay. what they're trying to do, they're creating an action star that has uh, that exists in a world that is ours, but also not. Right. Like that, just the whole sequence of John kind of trudging through Lower Manhattan as the 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 hit goes out on him, right? And you see all of these people yeah. that are just they look like normal everyday people, but yeah. no, yeah. they are assassins, and yeah. they all get that text message, and they all and, look yeah, a, a oh. woman, the bomb on the floor, the woman with the baby carriage. They're all they're all in on it. Yeah. And as soon as that happens, there's an and the, the, like I said, the movie just generates this energy, and I was just I'm there for it. Yeah, and the rest of that's movie from the way out. Lawrence Fishburne shows up. By the yeah. way, Lawrence Fishburne's only like 61. You know, but I, but he started at such a young age. I think he was 18 when he uh, he did uh, uh, Apocalypse, Apocalypse now. now. Yes, uh, so so maybe that he's been around. But I mean, again, I. <laughs> I only saw Lawrence Fishburne really for the first time in King of New York, nineteen ninety, because I never watched Pee Wee's Playhouse. Well, that's me. <laughs> but that's me. He's had a varied career. Let's oh, say yeah. that. Let's put that. Let's put it that way. He has. You know, this film had uh, some really good performances. I loved Lawrence Fishburne as the uh, Bowery King, and uh, you know his own way of uh, dealing with. Um, the underworld, uh, he, you know, carrier pigeons, you know, he had, that's his internet. He says, um, I loved the interaction between Keanu Reeves' John Wick and the people he was uh, buying the, uh, his uh, tailored suit in Italy. The, oh, uh, the you know what? Gu- Hang on. You, yeah. you brought that up. I yeah. was going to say, I thought that was, that yeah. was the one sequence in this movie yeah. that I thought went too long. Oh, really? Wow. No, I loved it because you saw the tailor. Okay, you got this Italian tailor who looks just like anybody, but he puts together this fantastic suit, which looks like a dinner outfit. However, you know that it's, you know, it's tactical, which means he's got Kevlar running through it and it could stop any bullet, you know, but it's going to hurt. Okay. Then you got Peter Serafinowicz shows up for a cup of coffee, and he's the guy that's the arms dealer that he goes to get every single uh, gun and knife. And the way he talks about it is if, you know, I'm a chef, and this is a five-star dessert, and, and, you know, it it, it was hilarious. I thought thought some of the best scenes were in Rome. Uh, I I thought... That 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 whole sequence of him, he goes to the tailor, he goes to the sommelier, and right, right. there's one other. Uh, the, there's the, someone giving the, him information. The, the mapper, the, uh, the ma- yeah, the cartographer. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I thought that was the one sequence that could have that could have been cut down. This, the movie would have been better at an hour forty five. The movie's two hours and two minutes long, okay. and it gets a little self indulgent. It slows down whenever John is not killing people. At least in the first hour, right? It 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 slows to almost a crawl. Okay, and in uh, my opinion, and and I believe, I believe that we agreed that uh, 
having your lead bodyguard being deaf is probably not the way to go. Yeah, Ruby Rose, who I, who is not deaf, uh, no. I guess she's like an MTV personality. I haven't seen her to my knowledge. She was. Else. She was. That's how she started, like uh, MTV Australia, something along those lines. And if you ever really look at her backstory, she has come from quite a bit down to be where she's at now. And um, she was, for uh, one season, the new Batgirl. Batwoman. I'm not sure if it was. Batgirl, oh, it looks Bat, like yeah. she's she's been yeah. in 20 episodes. She played Batwoman. Yeah, in... so it was Batwoman. Yeah, but she gave it up after one season, and um, uh, Batwoman is, uh, I, I believe, uh, LGBTQ in the comics, and they played it accurately in the show, and as she is in real life, so it was uh, near and dear to her. So I'm not exactly sure why she gave it up. I believe uh, it has been recast. So, uh, but she has done uh, a few things that I've seen her in. I think she's a pretty good actress for what she does. And uh, you know, it's too bad that you know that they kind of kill these people off in a way that you don't get. You're not going to be able to see them later on. No, I like that because it makes it. It's it's the old Game of Thrones thing, right? Where yeah. no one is safe and yeah, people well, can die. The only one no safe, yeah. Yeah. The only one that we know for sure is safe is is obviously John Wick because he he cannot be killed. There's not a force on earth. I always laugh, you know, in the John Wick movies there's always a moment right. when uh for instance he 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 and Cassian tumble into the Continental in right. Rome. Right. And they crash through the window uh -huh. and there's like three security guards there mm -hmm. and and Cassian and Wick stop fighting. Right, right, right. And I'm like what are they going to do? Yeah. John just killed everyone in Rome, and you think these three dudes <laughs> in the Continental are going to be able to put a stop to this if he if he really wants to yeah, yeah. to make the choice to yeah. to shed blood in the Continental, which he eventually which does. He eventually does, and he you know I mean uh, he made that choice. He realizes that. So overall, you feel it's the same type of film that you saw in the first. Okay, and and no, I agree. No, 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 no. I no, I just I'm, I'm telling uh, for for clarity the first hour is very reminiscent of John Wick 1. Okay. And I thought all we were going to do was sort of a greatest hits. Okay. And I thought the second hour is a different and far better movie. Okay. Or far okay. more interesting. Okay. And now the reason being the characters or the set pieces of action? Both. I think the set pieces okay. are more inventive here. I got tired in the first movie of just seeing John Wick shoot people in the head. And mm -hmm. and I get that it's it's kind of a, a vehicle to display... Ken Reeves's skills with firearms, which, like you said, it has been uh, a, a topic of discussion for many people because he has put out videos of him doing it, and, and I wouldn't know because I've never shot a firearm before. You have, you've uh, at least uh, studied them and worked with them. I mean, does he do a good job? <laughs> he's way better than me. Are you can't <laughs> like. Oh, that's he's, funny. <laughs> listen, I, I'm very grateful. I never had to pull the trigger in anger. Thank and, God. Uh, thank God. Yeah, and I. Yeah, Keanu Reeves would would kill me very easily. Is is what I gather. <laughs> that's funny. But like, and and again, like that's kind of what these movies are. Like, there's there's a fetishization of skill with firearm, or maybe there's just an appreciation of someone who's good at their task, right? right? Like, right. like there's a, a great documentary I love called uh, "Hero Dreams of Sushi" about this sushi chef in Tokyo who has spent his whole life, like sixty years, maybe even longer. Um, just trying to make the perfect piece of sushi, the perfect dish of sushi. Right. And every day he has like a six-table restaurant that you have to wait months, if not years, to get a reservation in. And every day he goes to work and he just tries to make the perfect piece of sushi. Right. And John Wick is kind of like Hero in the fact that every day 
though he can't admit it, and he finally does admit it when Santino says, "All you have is the the rage, is the is the need for vengeance. It's what drives right. you." Right. John Wick is trying every day for, to for to to find that perfect kill, right. that perfect uh, way to to eliminate someone. And I feel like this movie is just sort of uh, a tableau of how John is is constantly striving at that maybe this take is batshit crazy but no it no, sounded right in my head no but i think it's fine i think it's fine I, I i think that we've seen that he is this person the killer more than he ever was the family man and he knows it and 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 it, like he said it in the beginning when he uh was uh uh, chained to the door or duct taped to the chair in the church. He says, people have been asking me if I'm back and I haven't had an answer, but nah, yeah, I think I'm back. And uh, and even though he went back home right after that and he tried to retire again and he put the everything back in the concrete, you know, a minute later, the doorbell rings and uh, you're back. Okay, I'm back. So yeah, yeah, and- yeah, that, that's how that's how I take it also. Yeah, and and like you said, you know, they, Lance Reddick gets a little more to do in this one. Yeah. Uh, I thought Common was good. We have a friend that thought yeah. Common was yeah. terrible in I this. Thought, I, I thought, thought he Common, was good. I thought he was fine. I thought he was fine. You know, that's a little bit of a cliffhanger there. And, uh, you know, if you see the third one, uh, which you might. I have to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't think I would have to give you the whole franchise. But this opens it up to the third, which is fine. Because, you know, if we're looking for more inventive ways to kill people, I gotta tell you, there are a lot of them in the first twenty minutes of the New York City in New York City in the third one. So, we may have to go there. See, I'm much more into that. Like, I, I, I again, I, the I first it, movie, I get it. If if it's just if it's just blowing people away with guns and you know doing the basically he's doing gun foo is what he's doing. And yo, let me tell you something. He he does it fantastically, but it can get boring. I agree. And you're right. He he was a lot more. It was a lot more inventive. When he did not have the gun in his hands, he killed a fat guy with fucking pencil on the street. And, you know, and and what was that? That was harkening back to the fact that he killed a guy with a pencil in a bar. And Yeah, because uh, they know. finally pay that off. A- exactly. That, that sort exactly. Of... So, uh, so, yeah, so that does open up the third one, which is good. That's cool. Yeah, no, I'm... I, I came away from this movie enjoying it a hell of a lot more. And again, it's partially because I think Kolstad and Stileski and the producers kind of got their footing under them where they realized at some point, this is not a movie about a guy grounded in reality who can just kill people. Right. This is a movie about a world of assassins that exists in, in the shadows of our own world. And and just, and again, like the way, you know, like we said earlier, the homeless people working for Lawrence Fishburne, right. um, the, the, just sort of this concept of, of these people moving in and out of the places we, we move in and out of. And again, another thing is I love a good New York movie. I love a movie that is shot on set, uh, yeah. that is shot in the city. And you can look and be like, oh, I've been there. I've been right, there. Right, 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 right. And, and Wick is great for that. There's, yeah. you know, a ton of recognizable places. The Continental Hotel, uh, the exterior mm-hmm. in Manhattan is the Del Monaco Steakhouse in right. Lower Manhattan. Right. Um, I did have a problem. This is a complete nonsense complaint. <laughs> but uh, they use the PATH train, I assume, because they can get uh, – it's easier because the PATH train shuts down on overnights. Okay. So they shot uh, that train sequence in New York is where he stabs Common is on the PATH train. But 
the announcer on the train is talking about next stop Broad Street, next stop Wall Street. And I'm like, no, no. this is not the New York City subway. The path train does not go down there. Stop with the bullshit. Uh, but they use the Oculus. There's the scene of the two of them yes. Uh, yes. Of, uh, walking through the Oculus, shooting at each other. Like it's, it's a much more inventive, playful movie. Okay. And and okay. I I had I kind of had a blast. The first hour was was tough to get through, but then I, not tough. I shouldn't say that. That that's being disingenuous. The first hour felt familiar. The second hour felt new and exciting in every way. And of course, you get Ian McShane. Oh, yes. Just yes, anytime yes. Al Swearengen shows up, and he just <laughs> excommunicado. Excommunicado. Yes. Whenever he says that, he's he's like he's like making love to the word. I I agree. <laughs> yeah, and everything. And for those of you that haven't seen Deadwood, which yeah. is possibly the greatest. American TV show uh, since the golden age so since what's the Sopranos yeah, The Wire yeah, yeah, yeah. I would argue that Deadwood is better than all of them just wow. for the writing and, wow. and for, for Ian McShane uh, who is amazing as for three seasons as uh, saloon owner Al Swearingen but okay. yeah man I I, I dug it, man. I, I like this. I was nervous in the beginning. You get like Wazamo shows up and he's like, yeah, I can fix the car and I'm like, oh, we're just going to be it's the same thing but then then they they find another gear and yeah. and okay. I think and it's clear that they know that this is what this is where the value is in this character because I think I've told you this Colstat is yeah. currently producing a TV series called The Continental. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I I think they realize that the coolest thing they have here, the hottest part of this property, is the world. That John Wick lives in. It's not John Wick the character. It's this world. Well, I, I guess uh, I guess you're going to be going back into that world at some point in the near future, and I'm happy about that. Unfortunately, it won't be next week, will it? No, no, it won't no. because uh, we have news guys, here. We, we have news. <laughs> we have news. We have our first official outside challenge. Yes, yes, and 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 what a challenge it is. Uh, yeah, we have a friend of ours, Colin, who's a uh, Huge supporter of everything we do. Oh, he's always positive and uh, Mr. Sunshine. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of one of the people you really want to be around in order to just feel good about the world and yourself. And Colin uh, has been begging, right? Mm -hmm. Begging uh, is fair. Begging to at least be mentioned on this show, if nothing else. Begging to be mentioned and also to issue us challenges. And, right. and in all seriousness, uh, Colin actually has a voluminous movie and pop culture right. uh, uh, file in his brain. Yeah. Uh, and we decided, sure, yeah. we'll, we'll give this a go. So so for the next episode, mm -hmm. we, have, we were each issued a challenge from Colin. He uh, unfortunately is suffering from laryngitis, <laughs> so he cannot be here. Um, <laughs> That's a is lie. It, is he that would a never thing? Be on the show. He would no, never, he would never, he be, would on never be on the show. He would never be on the show. I just so everybody knows, I offer. And a lot of people who listen to the show know who Colin is. Uh, Colin went to school with me, worked with you, so he's known by a lot of people who listen. So they would love to hear him. However, he refuses to be on, even as a call-in. And trust me, I tried. But uh, does that, does anyone love to hear Colin? I, I I tell you what, 
I let me tell you when 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 I met up with him again on Facebook when I reconnected with him I loved hearing from him because he was somebody that was very cool from back in the day and uh, there are still people that ask me how is Colin because they know that I speak to him at least once a day with, with you on the thread and I tell him he's Colin and that satisfies them <laughs> he's Colin Colin is Colin and Colin, Colin has decided yeah. to give us uh, each a movie yeah and uh, I gotta say. I think these are pretty good choices. Well, you're gonna, you're you're gonna be the only one who thinks that going into it because I haven't heard of these films at all. But hey, whatever. No, you got a good one. So, uh, Colin issued to Arco, mm-hmm. the William Friedkin directed Roy Scheider vehicle Sorcerer, Sorcerer. and yeah. Sorcerer, right? 1977 is a movie about um, ex-cons. Uh, working as truck drivers in the South America jungle who have to transport a load of nitroglycerin across the jungle in terrible conditions. Okay. Well, see, and I, I, I didn't even know that, but let me tell you something. That made it a lot better than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, it is. this is a good movie. This okay. is one of those movies where... You, there's it, there's a tension that exists from the beginning and it never ends. It's based on the George Arnaud novel, The Wages of Fear. I haven't seen this in a long time. Right. I hadn't thought about it in a long time. So, and when he mentioned yeah. it... So you're going to have to see that also as I'm going to have to see the one that he challenged you because I need to know what we're talking about. Correct. Right. Uh, and Arco, you, what did uh, what did Colin give me? I no idea. I can't find it in the thread. I'm sorry. Okay, I remember. <laughs> he gave me the uh, Indonesian film, The Raid Two. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. The Raid Two. And you know what? I remember him talking to uh, to us about this film a while back. So I'm actually excited about having to watch that also. Yeah, I've, I'm excited too. Uh, the I've heard about the the Raid movies. Um, I think they're sort of. Like um, Far Eastern, Hong Kong style, yes. uh, Kung Fu slash Gung Fu actioners. Right, right, right. But from uh, from other podcasts that have spoken about it and from other uh, articles I've read, The Raid specifically, mm-hmm. are, these movies are really well respected within that genre. Right, right. And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, and I may be, that there are a couple of the members, if not uh, maybe perhaps only one of them, but one, of the, one or two of the actors in The Raid films were also in the third John Wick film, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, specifically, now that you mention it, I, I, I believe so. So uh, we'll, we'll have some uh, six degrees of separation through these films. Yeah, see, I, I, and I kind of like that, that we're sort of developing a through line from one challenge to the next, because yeah. obviously I mentioned the fact that Barry Keegan from Killing of the Sacred Deer it was in The Batman for a cup of coffee, right. but obviously, uh, duh, Colin Farrell played uh, the penguin, penguin in The Batman. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Although my wife does not believe that, even to this day. <laughs> She's li- You're lying, Jason. Why do you lie to me? <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so next week we're going to have uh, The Raid 2 mm-hmm. for me. And you're going to have Sorcerer. Right. And I think that kind of gets back to where we started, where like a, a more recent action movie and an older sort of well-respected yeah. uh, Hollywood classic. And not classic, but sort of uh, Friedkin is a very well-respected director. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, man, I think this this is going to fit perfectly. Good. A new, a new experiment here on the pod. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, we, uh, we enjoy when uh, people give us feedback. So if anybody out there listens to us and wants to uh, maybe... Give us a challenge. That's something we can look into in the near future. Feel free to drop us a line on the Instagram or our Facebook page, and uh, we'll see what we can do. 
Yeah, I think uh, if this goes well, and and again, we're not going to accept crazy challenges. No, Don't give us Plan not. Nine yeah. from outer space. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- th- this this might work out. This might be a new uh, a new thing that we try to do. Cool. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Yes. Uh, Arco. Two episodes in yeah. one day. My God, How, my, my voice is, is, my, is shot. <laughs> my throat is killing me. Yeah, so but you uh, know what? we had we had a good time. It was uh, we did. Yeah, it was definitely fun, and I uh, hope everybody enjoys these two uh, these two episodes. And I think we're going to have to call it there because I I can't get any other words out That's of me. Fine. So good. good job. Uh, hey everyone, thank you for listening to uh, these two episodes. Check out our other one that we dropped today, uh, where we dissect the Oscars in very general, incomplete <laughs> terms. But yeah, we kind of we talk about them. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, everyone, thank you, and we'll see you next time on Movie Challenge Accepted. Take care.